0: Add Fitbod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me/slash Zabe. That's M-E O D. M E/slash Zabe. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Fellas, you've heard me talking about this for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick 3 teams to win, if you hit all 3, you could turn 100 bucks into 600. There's so much to bet on college basketball and football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports if you want, you name it. My bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week, and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to my bookie right now and use promo code ZABE and get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. You play, you win, you get paid. Today on the ZABE cast, the Redskins' loss is definitely in the pantheon of awful, soul sucking losses at home. But is it the worst? We've got a Miami dagger and a rare tactical blunder by the hoodie. I hit my two team Superdog Moneyline parlay. I just didn't play it the Packers with at least one week of a bounce back, and the false god of instant replay strikes again. All that plus Hugh Freeze and his junk? Your essential Sports Talk Day starter is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, ho, 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 ho. here we go. Downloading. The South is digging out from an early, Winter sucker punch of a snowstorm. Uh, we're talking upwards of 8, 9 inches in some parts of the Carolinas, Southern Virginia. And before you mock them for how crippling a snow like this is, remember, they don't own snow plows. And remember, if power lines go down because of ice and heavy snow or tree limbs that knock down the power lines, hey, there's nothing you can do about it. It's a bitch when that part of the country, just down there, you know, south of the mid-Atlantic, Southern Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, all those areas when they get hit with snow or ice, oh, it fucks everything up. So stay patient, be careful, and hopefully you'll be out of it by middle of the week. Just got back from RV Navy weekend and it was another fantastic weekend. Army, your winner that makes three in a row. Many of the Army faithful were chanting three Pete. Three Pete, to which my nephew Luke, who came to the game with us, it was me, my brother in law Todd, who knows just enough to be dangerous, and Luke were at the game. Thank you to USAA for the tickets. Um, they uh, they were chanting Three Pete, and Luke, who is a Navy man or wants to be a Navy man because of the Marines, said, uh, "Well, there's no chant for fourteen Pete, <laughs> which is how many games in a row Navy had won prior to this little uptick." Uh, by Coach Munkin and the Army Black Knights. It was a great weekend, fun weekend, but I have to give one anecdote about panicking, or uh, not panicking, one anecdote about tailgating and logistics. So we're negotiating, my brother-in-law, Todd and I, as to when we're going to go to the game. Now the kickoff is at 3.15. I'm thinking to myself, I'd love to sleep till noon, because the night before, me, Scott, my boss, CJ, our boss, CJ, we, 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 were, we were out. We closed McGillis's or McGillin's pub at 2 a.m. And then we went and closed Jim's cheesesteaks at 3 a.m. And let me tell you, I did not need an entire massive cheesesteak at 3 a.m. Didn't need it, but man, did it taste good while drunk. And then I slept it off. I wanted to sleep until at least noon and head out to the stadium about one, something like that. Give myself an hour to get to the stadium. It wouldn't take that long. Give myself an hour uh, to get into the stadium so we get to be there for the ceremonial uh, parachute in and the flyover and the coin toss and all that stuff. Well, my brother-in-law Todd's like, yeah, but, you know, Luke wanted to really see the march on. And I've been told, oh, the march on spectacular. you got to see these cadets and these midshipmen march. They march like sons of guns. Okay. But the problem is that march-on is early. It's like at uh, noon, basically. So you're talking about sitting in the stadium for three hours, and there's nothing to do. So we decided against that. We decided to go early, though, to maybe catch them practicing or marching in from the outside, at least get a little dose of that. Well, by the time we get down there and get parked and everything, we kind of missed that. So we walk around. There was a couple tailgates that, you know, I was invited to a tailgate by somebody who's a listener from D.C. We tried to find them, and then we couldn't find them after walking around for a while. Then my brother-in-law, Todd, said, well, I've got a neighbor uh, who is, you know, Army, uh, went to West Point, and he's having a tailgate with some of his other buddies who are also West Pointers. Okay, great. So we ended up hooking up with them, and their tailgate was modest, but it was fine. We were very, very far out in the parking lots, and we were kind of alone, which is fine. And we were enjoying it. little grill, a little chips, some beer, some bag toss. It's getting on, you know, in the afternoon. And I asked, uh, you know, uh, my brother in law, Todd's buddy, I'm like, so what time are you guys going to go in? And he looks at his watch. He's like, eh. I think we should start heading in about 2.30. And I'm thinking to myself, you fucking crazy. 2.30, it's going to take 20 minutes for us to get to the mouth of the stadium and security with the president here? Get out of here. So I gently said, you know what? I've got a press pass. Todd, just give me my ticket. I'll meet up with you guys uh, when you get to your seats. Okay, cool. That's great. So I left about 2 o'clock. Now, I, of course, went through the media entrance which was no line breezes right in separate you know security entrance and whatnot and I got in there easily by 230 and I was down on the field which was really cool. They let us down on the field and I got to see the uh, army horse uh, ridden by a uh, young female cadet and they had a horse handler with the horse and had the army A shaved into his beautiful brown coat and painted on the left rear rump of the horse. And it was cool to see the horse up close, although the horse was getting very sketchy. And I was just milling around down on the field, taking some shots, taking some videos, and joined the scene. Got to stay down there for the flyovers, which were unbelievable. I mean, four Blackhawks, they flew over so slowly. It was like they were just like badass. And then when the Navy jets flew over, it was hard to see which way they were coming from. We didn't really know which way they were going to come from. And then they, somebody pointed, oh, they're over here. And I turned over and I looked. It was surreal. They kind of came just, and it wasn't as loud as I thought it would be. They, they Either they had their 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 exhaust engines tuned in a way that they were not trying to rattle any windows. But four Navy jets, and I'm not sure which of the jets they used to fly over, come piercing through this sort of hazy, cloudy sky just right over top the stadium. It it was the most wild thing. I felt like it was in a movie. I was like, holy shit, look at that. (laughs) So I got to see all that, and that was great. Get done with that, game starts, got to leave the field, and I start trudging my way up to the upper deck where our seats were. I get to our seats, and I'm looking around. I'm like, oh shit, brother-in-law Todd and Nephew Luke aren't here yet, and there's already been like four minutes gone of the game. Finally, I see them come out of the portal about a minute later, and they're all p- He's all pissed off. He's like, I can't believe it. So pissed. We're here early, and we waited too long. I go, What time did you guys leave? He goes, well, we were going to leave about 2.15, and then we had to help clean up, and we're packing everything up, and then I forget what else. Then we waited for two guys to go pee first, and I just shook my head thinking, how could you let that happen? Of course, these same guys joked, these West Point guys joked about last year's game where they ended up buying counterfeit tickets from some sleazy sub shop along the way, went and picked them up. They went to go get them scanned in. You know, every ticket goes beep, 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 and they couldn't get a beep, and they flip it over. It's in the snow, and they try to, you know, wipe the barcode so that it's clean, and they ended up wiping the barcode straight off the ticket because it just been glued there. They get to their seat. They, they let them in anyway. They're like, well, he's looking legit enough. They get to their seats, and of course, people are in them. And they're like, ah, oh shit, you got counterfeit tickets. And they were joking about that, these West Pointers. Very smart guys into logistics. <laughs> and my brother-in-law took their advice as to, yeah, I should leave about 2.30 for the game. I didn't want to be that asshole. I didn't want to be the naggy Nelly to go, man, no, you really you better leave now. These lines are going to be very long for security. Because... They went to West Point, not me. And it was their tailgate that I ate their food and drank their beer. So who am I to lecture them? But my brother-in-law, he's settled down after a while. He's like, yeah, we still got to see the flyover. But lesson learned, I'm not listening to anybody else again. And that's a good lesson for everybody else. All right, the Redskins got hammered by the New York Giants on Sunday. It was as bad as any loss that I can remember in the Dan Snyder era at home. It's in the pantheon of when Jim Zorn lost to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs 14-6 to in a game that featured uh, four field goals by Ryan Suckup, that'd be 12, and then a safety, 14. After the game, uh, Jim Zorn had his play-calling duties stripped, and they brought in the bingo caller, retired Offensive coordinator Sherman Smith. Sherman Smith? Sherman Lewis? Sherman Douglas? Sherman Edwards? It was a Sherman. I know that. Also in that game there was a couple fans that brought signs that said Dumb and Dumber with pictures of Dan Snyder and Vinny Serrato and they had their signs confiscated. It was an ugly day. One of the ugliest days. And I was in the building that day because I brought guests who were in from out of town. It was terrible. There was also a uh, Shanahan year one game against the Chiefs in a light snow in December in which the Chiefs had a billion yards of returns. I think Van Vanover had like three returns for touchdowns. Nobody was at the stadium. It was ugly. Then there was the uh, Donovan McNabb, hey, I just got a new contract Monday night football game in which he got beat by Michael Vick and the visiting Eagles into oblivion. It was 28 nothing in the first quarter as people were still streaming in. It was 35 to 7, I think, at one point. It ended up being 45 to 10 or something terrible like that. That loss goes in the pantheon of awful, ugly home losses. There was a 27 to nothing loss to the Cowboys back in 2003 under Spurrier, where Tim Hasselbeck, that'd be the not so great quarterback Hasselbeck, good broadcaster, I'll give him that, um, recorded a Blutarski passer rating of 0.0. Blutarski, he was 6 for 26 and the Redskins got shut out by the Cowboys, by the Cowboys at home, 27 to nothing. This loss in which the Giants got up 40 to nothing and then pulled Eli Manning is as bad as they come. It does feel like end of days for Jay Gruden, but I don't think this is the time to fire him. I'll explain later. Bad, really, really bad. We'll see what this week brings. And, of course, we're now going to be on to our fourth quarterback. All right, so here's what I tried for the week. I don't know how it's going to work out. I was sitting down in the five-hour energy dome. I had my portable recorder, and I said, there's a lot of little things to get to on a Monday, so let me just rat-a-tat-tat, two-minute drill, two minutes or less on almost every one of these, and we'll get through them, and then I'll come back and I'll wrap up the podcast right after this. I keep my hands on myself. Maybe it's just me, but man, it kind of pisses me off when I can't watch ESPN do highlight shows and show me highlights on Sunday night. And I don't know why they weren't this Sunday night. They were showing a combination of things. It was SC featured, the NCAA soccer championship, apparently Maryland was in it, hey, how about that, along with some bowl preview, bowl mania, they called it, and boxing. That was it on all four ESPN properties. Now, I did have NFL Network on screen right. I had the Sunday Night Football game on the middle screen. But I wanted to put ESPN on the left, and they were not giving me any NFL. I couldn't get any NFL from the so-called worldwide leader. And I can swear they used to run their own little sports center type of NFL plays uh, on the you know during the Sunday Night Football game. But they may be prohibited from doing that according to their contract with the NFL, that the NFL doesn't want any eyeballs away from the game itself on Sunday because, ooh, that's the primetime game. We want to get that rating jacked as high as we can. And so you, know, No, no watchy NA NFL but our game on Sunday night. But it's ridiculous because ESPN pays the most money by far of any network for their package of game, <laughs> the one Monday night game. And, yes, they get highlight rights and other stuff, in that billion-dollar-a-year deal, but come, come on. should be allowed to show highlights just to either flip over if you're a poor sucker with just one screen, or if you're like me. And a growing legion of people who have multiple screens to watch because I like flanking my Sunday night football with highlights of more football on both the right and the left. The Miracle in Miami is going to go down as one of the most amazing plays To win a game. It's already the longest play to win a game with zeros on the clock in NFL history. But what made it more well, first of all, I turned the game off, if you can believe that. I flipped off my TV left and I didn't see the play. How could I do this, you ask? Well, I had red zone with Andrew Siciliano on the main screen. I saw that there was four pots boiling, four hot pots of football in the so-called witching hour, and the Miami game seemed done. So instead of watching Andrew flip around with the partial screen coverage, with the semi-muted audio, I said, I'll just do my own triple screen on the three games left still cooking, and I'll go one, two, three, and, well, there's eight seconds left in the Dolphin game. They're at their own 30, for God's sakes. They're not going to score. And I missed it, which is a lesson. You'll never see a game-winning 70-yard miracle lateral, lateral, lateral play with eight seconds to go if you don't watch the eight seconds. (laughs) I should have said to myself, no, you just got to watch it because this one might actually go the distance. What Gronk was doing on that play, and I know what he was doing, he was lumbering and falling down, when he had one job. Make sure the last guy does not get behind you. He apparently was in the game to knock down any Hail Marys. But the guy is a Frankenstein. I know he runs pretty well downfield on routes, but otherwise he's not nimble. I don't know how well he can jump straight up in that situation. And there are other guys you could use. Plus, did you really think that that Tannehill was going to throw it 70 yards in the air with a rebuilt shoulder? It was one of the rare tactical blunders I've ever seen Bill Belichick make. And it still would not have been a tactical blunder if just, you know, one guy had done his job to get Kenyon Drake out of bounds. Instead, well, they're still going to win the division, but the 9-4 start is the Patriots' worst start through 13 games since 2009. Wouldn't it be nice? Forgive them, Father, for they worship a false god known as Replay that giveth their life In sports, an illusion of perfection and justice. But tis just an illusion. They know not of what they worship. And thus endeth the lesson yet again on replay. The Eagles-Cowboy game was marred by an insane non-recovery call that somehow Alberto Riveron didn't seem to judge to be a clear recovery by not one, not two, but three different Eagle players. On the opening kickoff of the game, a fumble by the Cowboys that would have given the Eagles the ball right away, right out of the gate, possession in easy field goal territory, if not for a touchdown. How does that happen? After the game, uh, Malcolm Jenkins said, whoever is watching that in New York should stay off the bottle. (laughs) You're just replacing one form of human error for another form. And in this case... The form of Alberto Riveron, I think, is a demonstrable downgrade from Dean Blandino. Oh, I know. You're going to say, but you hated Bland Dean Blano, as you used to call him. Hat tip Brian Nelson for the nickname. Yes, I did. I resented who he was, a weasel who had never actually worn the lanyard of shame and refereed any games. He was just a rules guy. He was a video guy. He was an administrator guy. But you know what? He knew the rules, and he knew how to apply them relatively evenly at least according to how the NFL lords and the owners wanted them applied Riveron has been a disaster and it's something I'm sure the league doesn't want to talk about but how do they get away with these such egregious calls not getting fixed on replay well because of endings like you saw in Miami in Oakland and around the league they get away with all this shit because of the product and the scintillating finishes that are produced on a weekly basis, no matter what. All right, let's talk injuries with the Redskins here for a second. Yes, they've got a lot of guys injured, and yes, they've got a lot of guys on one side of the ball injured. And that has to be accounted for, yes. But there's a couple things that need to be noted. On the quarterback front, a lot of this problem they have is of their own making because Alex Smith going down with a broken leg is awful. And it could have been a blown-out knee like Carson Wentz last year or a torn shoulder like Aaron Rodgers so the gruesomeness of the broken leg really doesn't make it any worse or better but the problem is their backup Colt McCoy is a known injury risk to anybody who's ever watched the NFL and who knows his history and yet the Redskins have had this delusional cult of Colt as I like to call it in which they've, they're like oh we love this guy he's great he's uh." You know, he knows the system, works well with Jay, he's healthy, he's ready to go, we're going to pay him $7 million, plug him right in. Yeah, that's great until he plays and then he gets hurt every single time. Also, they used to have a young Nate Sudfeld on the roster, but they traded him to the Eagles for reasons I don't know. Was it a trade or they released him? I forget. He's no longer on the roster, and they only carried two guys, and maybe normally – you know, because of Alex Smith being relatively healthy the last couple of years, his fitness level and everything else, you feel like, okay, we can go with that risk. But they had nobody that they could then just put in. And obviously, Mark Sanchez stinks. Shrimpy, minus arm strength, and an internal clock that is flat terrible. Uh, this kid, uh, Josh Johnson, he did okay for the Redskins, but how do you grade it? I mean, it's a 40 to nothing game one of his throws was a seven yard flip that went 70 yards on bad coverage and bad angles to Jamison Crowder I mean you can't judge his performance I don't think he's going to be any better but at least he's more athletic he can run for his life better and he's got a stronger arm so there's that oh yeah one last thing about the Redskins and injuries and this is something that is true league wide the better teams in the league and the great teams in this league They're getting injured almost the same as anyone else. But it doesn't seem to affect them as much because the good teams and the great teams usually have one or two fatheads, at least on each side of the ball. And the Redskins have no fatheads. That's part of their problem. Oh, what's a fathead? You know, like a fathead. Those plastic wall stickers now they sell. What? And you could go, I just was on fathead.com for my son and I found a Redskins fathead. Yeah, okay. But... To, to get made into a fathead, you have to be a player of a certain level and a certain caliber that they can sell X number of units to league-wide and around the country where people who might not be Redskin fans are like, I'm not a Redskin fan, but, man, I love so-and-so. If you've got two fatheads on your team, like, let's say, Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, that spackles over a lot. If you've got a Khalil Mack... Or if you've got an Aaron Donald, it spackles over a lot. Now, the Bears' defense and the Rams' defense, they've got a lot more than just those two stars, obviously. They're pretty loaded. But my point is the Redskins, they can't sustain these injuries because they've got a whole bunch of pretty good players, and that's it. One or two great players, capital G, great, goes a long way towards covering up a lot of deficiencies. And then you can sort of scheme around them, Get lucky, grind out an ugly win, figure out something to do until the guys that you really need come back from injury or until you find somebody else you can fill in for them. You look at the Redskins roster, it's a bunch of pretty good guys and some decent guys, and that's about it. Time for a quick golf story. Don't groan, it's two minutes or less, and it's a good one. Cody Blick finished 12th on the 2018 McKenzie Tour which is the PGA Tour Canada Minor League Money List. And so he was in the final stage of the Web.com Tour qualifying tournament. Important tournament because if you finish a certain, you know, status on there, you can then play an automatic number of starts on the Web.com Tour, which is your only way to get to the PGA Tour now uh, because the way they've set it up. Okay. So he's getting ready to play on Sunday, and he wakes up to every golfer's worst nightmare. His clubs have been stolen. He took to Instagram to offer a $5,000 cash reward. No questions asked if somebody could return his clubs or if somebody knew where they were. No luck. His tee time was at 10.39 a.m. and he got to the first tee with a cobbled together set of clubs that included the World Wind Golf Course superintendent's driver, wedges borrowed from the pro shop, a random set of irons, and a putter that was way heavier than he normally uses. Blake went out and shot nine under par, 63, lowest round of the week, to move from 49th to T25, meaning he will now play a guaranteed number of starts next year. He got his web.com tour card with that set of clubs. And us hacks, we drag our golf clubs through the airport. We buy expensive carrying cases, all because we say, well, pfft, I don't want to go play golf somewhere nice because I don't want to get rentals. I, I, I can't play good with rentals. I don't know how far the irons are going. Yeah, this guy, uh, he borrowed Carl Spackler's driver, some wedges from the pro shop, and a cobbled together set of irons. He doesn't know what loft they are. doesn't know what flex they are. The swing weight, absolutely amazing. Reminder, kids, golf is about putting the ball in the hole. It's called playing golf, not playing perfect golf shot. So late night on Saturday, I went to Shake Shack in downtown Philly. For those who have never been to Shake Shack, let me explain it. It's burgers with milkshakes. Okay, got it? Good. I go to order, and I notice, like, well, where's the cashier? Where's the person to interact with? Oh, no, there's no person. There's tablets little touch screens on the back wall, and you just punch in your order, kind of like Sheets does, and I think McDonald's is trying to get you to do that as well. I'm not opposed to the concept. I think in a lot of ways we're now all becoming much more savvy to, okay, boom, this is easily how I want it. Bing, bang, boom, no lettuce, no tomato, yes, bacon, give me fries, large drink, I'm out the door, bang, and then you wait for your food. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is that apparently they make you Give them your cell phone so they can text you when your food is ready. And because I was hungry, and because I didn't want to cause a scene, I just said, "Okay, fine. I'll I'll go ahead and I'll punch my number in." I already get enough robocalls and/or telemarketer calls, and I just don't pick up and I don't see a number. I don't know that. I said, "Well, what's a what's a couple more? I'm sure they're selling my number. They have to be, and your number, right?" Why would they collect your cell phone number if they're not going to do something with it? They don't need to text you, hey, your burger is done. You're standing right there by the window. They can just call your name out as it's on there. You're not going anywhere. You've already paid for a burger with your credit card. You're not going to leave a burger you paid for behind. You're just not. And if you do, so what? Throw it away. But they get your cell phone number. So I just want to know what's everyone else's thoughts about whether or not you feel comfortable giving a place like Shake Shack your number. And if this is only a test franchise or a test location that uses the touchpads, let me know. I guess that's how all Shake Shacks work. So who knows? But Memo to Shake Shack, don't call me, okay? I really would appreciate that. Not only do the Redskins suck, I mean, god-awful, terrible, down 40 to nothing to the Giants at home, I don't care about who the quarterback is. That's abysmal. The scene inside the stadium was horrifying. You're talking maybe 20, 25,000 fans after halftime rattling around in that place, and I'd say 80% of the 25,000 were wearing Giants blue. There was a shot at halftime that I think somebody, I think Les Carpenter for the Post, tweeted out, a quick little video. This is a live look at halftime at FedEx Field, and there was just – Streams of Redskins fans leaving. Of course, they had to get sort of checked by security as they left the stadium, which some people are like, why are they doing that? The real answer is that because you can't take alcohol outside, you know, into the parking lot. <laughs> Render unto Caesar what is his. Give Dan Snyder whatever undrank beer you have left, lest you drink it in his parking lot. But somebody cracked... They're checking for any last signs of hope so they can take that away as well. That sounds harsh. It is harsh. It's cruel, but it's funny. It's gallows humor. But holy shit, this, this now really scares me that the attendance is so bad and there are so many opposing fans. How does this franchise turn that around? How do you get momentum for a new stadium with this as the backdrop? I also don't think they should fire Jay next year because we need Jay to lose a lot of games for us next year. Can you imagine if they fire Jay? How are you going to hire a coach to jump into this hot mess right now in which you're going to finish likely with a losing streak to take it to 6-10? and 10? I assume Bruce Allen would be out. I'm hoping he goes to Oakland, by the way. That would be perfect timing. And no, he'll not get fired They're going to let Bruce Allen leave, and they're going to herald him as all the good he did while he was here, and we wish him well out west in his new endeavors. But how are you going to hire a coach if you're 6-10, and if you've got Alex Smith iffy on when he might come back or even if he comes back at all? How do you possibly do that? This year, unfortunately, because of the Alex Smith injury, is not the year to fire your coach. One of the highlights of the weekend had to be the Bears throwing a touchdown to offensive lineman eligible Sowell. Forget his first name. Number 79. They used a weird formation where they had three linemen in the backfield in a triangle, like a super heavy jumble, like they're going to run it. 96, 98, 94, a bunch of 90s in there. And then they do a play action and throw it to a lineman eligible for a touchdown. It was third down and goal, like the two-yard line. I know on the one hand, it's fashionable to say, just all this trickery down by the goal line is not unnecessary. Just pound it in there. Old school football. Just run it in. Come on. But here's the truth. Scoring touchdowns in the NFL is harder than shit. And scoring them even from the two or the one is extremely difficult. I think teams make it more difficult than they need to by running in big jumbo sets where there's a lot of bodies clattering around. I'd run it out of the four wide spread all day every day and get one or two yards, I think, about – Every time. But this is a something to note, and I want my team to more do more of this the next time we're in the red zone, which should be in about two weeks, I'm guessing. <laughs> we're due for a trip in two weeks. Don't be afraid to get creative. This is a league where creative plays happen all the time. It may seem hairy high school or rinky-dink, but you need to be creative to score touchdowns because defenses are just that good. And the amazing thing is that this big lineman, Sowell, he made like a a wide receivers, he made like a playmaker's catch. Hands up, just gently caught a ball that was pretty high, cradled it in, and then he he did a dance that not only for a big man was pretty sweet, but for a white guy who's a big man, his dance was really sweet. All right, let's credit baseball for at least finally realizing this shit is out of control. Baseball announced they're going to move up. ESPN announced it's going to move up the starting time of nationally televised games one hour with the first pitch planned for shortly after 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The network intends to make the announcement on Monday at the winter meetings. Um, Philadelphia hosts Atlanta on the first Sunday night game next season, March 31st. The second game of a televised doubleheader begins with Texas playing the Cubs at Wrigley Field. I'll worry about that in spring. Among other Sunday night games, next year will be a World Series rematch between the Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox at Fenway. Okay, I don't care about all this shit. But basically, this is the key thing. You know, it's all about the East Coast. You have to let those of us in the Eastern and the Central time zones get a decent night's sleep, for God's sakes. And I'm sorry, West Coast. You're like, oh, it's going to make it really early for us. Does it matter if it starts, you know, 8 o'clock start out west is 5 o'clock. You're still in traffic or at work. So what's the difference between 5 o'clock and 4 o'clock? It doesn't matter to you guys. It matters, though, to us. Now, pace of play is still a huge issue for for Major League Baseball and really for every sport these days. The tempo of things has to be quicker. That's why on Mondays here I'm doing the extended two-minute drill. No more than two minutes on any particular little nugget and topic. And by the way, I'm doing it from down here in the uh, five-hour energy dome where the acoustics are a little bit different. I've got my portable recorder, and if you don't like the sound of it, well then, screw you! Just kidding. It should be a better sound than, let's say, 78% of most podcasts. Well, 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 looks like the Amari Cooper signing is working out pretty well for the Dallas Cowboys. I hate to say it, I did not like it for a first-round pick. It didn't look like he was still very dynamic or explosive in Oakland, but it turns out that, well, they weren't using him correctly, which some people I did see on Twitter say at the time of the trade, they're like, look, you look at his target chart in Oakland, it's a bunch of five-yard outs. This guy can still bring it. He's still vibrant. What I like about Cooper, and I don't like him because he's a dirty, stinking cowboy, but what I like about Cooper is that he doesn't seem like a total diva, jackass wide receiver. I mean, he's an NFL wide receiver, so they're all going to be cocky to a certain extent. But his uh, his celebrations in the end zone are not, like, ridiculously over the top and groin chopping and whatever. Here's the numbers, though, uh, on Amari Cooper. Field Yates had this tweet. Six games with the Raiders this year, 22 catches, 280 yards for a 12-yard average, one touchdown. Six games with the Cowboys, 34 catches 642 yards, an 18-yard average, and six touchdowns. It's working out pretty, pretty well. Now, it's early. He can tail off. Who knows what's going to happen next year. But I'd say overall for the Cowboys, who are going to probably end up winning the division, I think it's safe to say at this point, they're going to have a lower first-round pick in the 20s. It's going to end up being a pretty decent trade for them. Now, the question is, can Jerry resist overspending? Because Jerry did say after the first, first or second good game with Amari Cooper, well, he's making a push for his money. I can see that, uh, Jerry. Stop talking about that, okay? Because you know he's gonna load the boat for some huge deal. Oh, somebody's texting me. I better get that. Load boat, load the boat for a huge deal on Amari Cooper, and then he'll he'll suck once he signs his new deal. Okay, what good is it if I give out one of the great touts, one of the great calls one of the great wagers in the brief history of the Zabecast and the Football Five Ways Friday Premium podcast, yours for only $5 a month. Time is running out. You might say, well, there's only three weeks of the season left. Why would I pay for a monthly podcast at $5? Well, because the Football Five Ways Friday podcast is going to continue on into January. We're going to do more football stuff uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. Do more interviews do more offbeat stuff we'll still have the games obviously and pertinent topical stuff college football bowl games and everything else and then after that we're going to actually segue it into another friday premium show of some sort maybe steakhouse confidential becomes a premium product maybe an offshoot of that becomes a premium product we're, we're, we're working on it but anyway football five ways friday i said with mr x i said okay My lock this week is Green Bay minus five and a half. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm back on the winning streak. Ten and four on the season now with my locks. Pretty good about that. I feel pretty good about that. But my, just throwing it out there, two-team underdog money line parlay. So it's a two-team parlay, meaning both of these picks have to hit. And it's a money line parlay where both teams have to win outright, not just cover the spread. But it's also an underdog parlay. Money line two-team parlay, and it was two big dogs of dogs of seven or more points. It was the Dolphins plus seven and a half against the Pats. They win on that Miami Miracle. And then the Raiders plus ten and a half against the Steelers. <laughs> the, the Dolphins pick hits because of a lateral play that goes 70 yards with zeros on the clock. And then the Raiders win because uh, the, 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 the field goal kicker for the Steelers slips and misses a game-tying field goal at the end of regulation after a hook and lateral play. I mean, if you actually played that, you're, like, losing your shit watching it going, this pick's going to come home. It would have paid close to 20-1 to 1 or maybe 18-1, to 1, something like that. So for a cool 50 bucks, you do the math. Wait a minute, what is the math on that? 50 times 10 is $1,000. You know, pretty nice payday. Make for a nice Christmas there, wouldn't it? Well, did you play it, Zabe? Did you go to mybookie.ag and play it? I did not. You idiot, why wouldn't you? Well, I didn't have to play it with my money, I played it with my mouth. I got my karmic satisfaction of giving it out by saying to you guys on the podcast, here, I think this would be something worth trying. And it hit. And for everybody that did hit on it that actually played it, congratulations. Next time I'll put my money where my mouth is, although a lot of times you put your money on it, guaranteed loser sure watching football is fun but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games fellas you've heard me talking about this for weeks and some of you are still on the sidelines whether you're an expert or a rookie you should be betting at my bookie if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot like playing the numbers on roulette you can create a big parlay pick 3 teams to win if you hit all 3 you could turn 100 bucks into 600 there's so much to bet on college basketball and football nba nhl custom props even esports if you want you name it my bookie is the one bet i know you'll be happy with all year I recommend these guys because I trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week, and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to my bookie right now and use promo code ZABE and get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. You play, you win, you get paid. Oh boy, here we go now on this. Colin Kaepernick, according to sources, would be willing and ready to play even for the Washington Redskins if he were given the chance. The sources told Yahoo Sports on Sunday that Kaepernick remains willing to play for any NFL team that wants to offer him a job. Both the sources stress that any NFL team includes the Redskins in spite of long-standing criticism over the team's logo and name, as well as owner Dan Snyder having been one of the most critical owners of the issue of players kneeling during the anthem. Who are these two sources exactly? This story is written by Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports I don't know what to make of this. I think to a certain extent, Kaepernick wants to keep saying, I, I want to play. I don't know if he really does want to play. Obviously, he's suing the league, which is problematic for any team that might want to sign him. It's a little bit late to sign him. Um, But the whole notion, and this is what the Redskins' excuse was, well, it's we have to install a bunch of different plays, zone read stuff, and it's a short week, and you know you don't really have time to do that. Well, when Josh Johnson came into the game, they ran quite a few zone read looks. And Jay has zone read series plays in his catalog from back when Robert was there. He had zone read stuff in there and RPO stuff in there for Alex, who can run very well. So that excuse is bullshit. These teams just don't want to say the truth, which is, look, number one, the guy's suing the league, so... We want to stay out of that. Number two, we really don't need another hundred credentialed media covering our team, but not really covering our team, but just being in the park every week, you know, being at the park and at practice and interviewing everybody about, oh, finally Kaepernick has been signed to a team. They can't say that or don't want to say that, so they're going to come up with excuses. It just is what it is. The Packers killed the Falcons at Lambeau Field, 34-20 your final. Game wasn't even that close. It was 34-7. And then the Packers put it in cruise control, let the Falcons score a couple touchdowns late. The day began, though, once again on Fox on their pregame show with all four of their highly paid suits standing around saying, Boy, gosh, old Coach McCarthy. Can't believe he got fired in season. They made sure to run the video of him visiting Lambeau Field one more day because he had been fired on Sunday, was permitted to come back on Monday, and took a short video of the you know, Lambeau Field at night with the flags that were lit up in the background. It was, it was cool. It, it really was. Uh, and that's fine that they let him come back for that. But it just, once again, I said, man, are they ever going to give it up with the poor Coach McCarthy was done wrong? On what was a routine firing, well-deserved, long overdue, that was in no way disrespectful because it saved McCarthy a month of questioning of, hey, do you think you're going to get fired? And, and maybe this was a one-term bounce or one-time bounce, a one-game bounce. That's why I love the Packers today minus the five and a half. They played better. Is that because Joe Philbin was doing anything really crazy or different than Mike McCarthy? I would guess not. You can't install a whole new offense all of a sudden. But it does get everyone's attention, even in professional football, when a guy gets fired. Everybody in that locker room's like, oh, shit, guy just got fired. Well, we we got to play better this week. So we'll see what the Packers do from here on out. There are some that are saying, no, don't win anymore. It's just going to hurt our draft position. But I would like to see the Packers play better down the stretch here. At least they did for one week. Let's talk wintertime, and let's talk dehydration, and let's talk dry nasal passages. I don't know about you, but I think I'm getting more and more sensitive, at least when I sleep, to being completely dried out in the morning. Seems that way, at least. Now, it would help if I drank more water, which I am right now, by the way, quite refreshing. Drank more water, number one, and, and number two, maybe I do need a humidifier. For the winter next to my bed. Now, I was traveling and I was totally dehydrated both nights at the lovely Lowe's Hotel in downtown Philadelphia. But my wife said they actually make a portable humidifier where you just put a bottle of water right there into the device. And you put it right next to your, uh, right on your nightstand. And it helps moisten up the air that you breathe. I know, it's a very first world problem, isn't it? Oh, oh yes. My sinuses are just, my uh, my nasal passages, my, my mouth is very dry. But it seems like it's getting worse and worse. Oh, and you want to move to the desert, do you? <laughs> well, of course, Phoenix and Arizona. It's a dry heat, and the dry is the key part of it. But um, yeah, I do want to move to the desert. Winter dryness, though, is tough legs are itchier. I've got to start putting on more and more lotion to keep my legs from getting too itchy. My eyes are redder nowadays. It's a living hell, and I don't think I'm equipped for the cold. <laughs> In fact, I know I'm not equipped for the cold, or I just don't dress for the cold, because now that we've gotten into some just below freezing temperature days, you know, high 20s, I'm more and more feeling it just getting out of my car and running errands going, God! Dang, is it cold right now. And to think in my future, I could be traveling a lot more to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. (laughs) Better buy a nice coat. That's all I know. Nice coat and nice leather mittens. Maybe I can get some Dan Marino Isotoners to make me warm. Kyler Murray is your Heisman Trophy winner for 2018, and I've got no problem with it. I do have a problem, though, with 13 voters, apparently, out of the 283 ballots that left Tua Tonga-Vailoa off their ballot entirely. So not first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I'm going to at least count three. There's no way that Tua should be left off anybody's ballot. And I wish they would identify those people and say, okay, you're too dumb to vote on this now because you left – Arguably, the other best player in college football this year, or outstanding player, um, off the ballot. Why? Because you hate Alabama that much? Somebody said that Alabama hate is now gotten to the proportion of Patriot hate when it comes to, well, I'm just going to abandon logic because, God, I hate those guys. Kyler Murray is due to play baseball. He's been drafted by the A's, as I'm sure you probably know by now. $5 million signing bonus. And... He has just recently said, you know, I might want to give football a try. You never know. His agent has already said, no, he's going to go play baseball, so forget about it. But he could still be drafted by an NFL team. There's no rule against them drafting him. It doesn't mean that they're going to get him to play. And if he were to play football, I don't know how that would affect his minor league baseball contract. I would imagine it would be in violation. I imagine if he got drafted by an NFL team, he would have to – give back the $5 million if he was even allowed to give it back? Like, how ironclad is Kyler Murray's baseball contract? And do we all think he can play in the NFL? Because as wonderful and exciting a player as he is in college, we know the Saturday game is not quite the Sunday game or vice versa. Of course, Lamar Jackson is currently rolling right now with the Baltimore Ravens. They lost today. But still, they put up a hell of a fight. And a lot of what he does is not pretty. I mean, he got strip-sacked not knowing how to shift the protections on a a play late in the game that cost him, obviously. Well, it didn't cost him because they missed the field goal in regulation. They lost in overtime. But he's giving a jolt to the Ravens when they were pretty much left for dead. And even with a loss, I think they're a potential wild-card team that not a lot of teams would like to face. In what can only be considered a loss for all of us who do not like the Monday Night Football broadcast at all, apparently Jason Garrett, according to multiple outlets, reportedly made multiple attempts to to try to lure Jason Witten out of retirement and out of the Monday Night Football booth to rejoin his former team this year. Oh, God, why could that not have happened? If we could just get Witten out of the booth and back on the field, and then when he comes back after the season's over saying, okay, guys, I'm ready for broadcast. No, no, we, we gave that to Booger, and we went and we pushed the Boogermobile mobile off a bridge into a river, and it sank straight to the bottom. That's it. We're just going with Tess and Boog. There is no Tess, Wit, and Boog show anymore. There's no more. Well, no, I just went to go play football for a while, guys, and I'm back. I'm ready to be better this year, I swear. I'm getting lessons from, you know, Tony. About how to do it better. Uh, No. Sorry, (laughs) Witt. No seat for you here. I don't think he would have been that good as a player. He was already slowing down and slowing down. He was still effective at getting open, knew how to sit down in open spaces, caught most everything that was sent his way. But if you needed nine yards, Witten would get you eight. And I think after being out of the game, very few guys come back into football after being out for – even a short period of time, and are any good. There are exceptions, and I'm sure you'll email me those, but still. I don't think Witten would have been very good. would have been great to get him off the Monday Night Football broadcast, but no such luck. The pseudo-vilification of Aaron Rodgers is something that I just, it's kind of amazing. I don't want to be an apologist for Rodgers. He does have some things he can improve upon and should improve upon as a quarterback. Quarterback in the NFL is more than just a guy who passes the ball to receivers. He is more than just the leader of the team on the field itself. He is more than just the highest profile player on every NFL team. He's more than just the face of the franchise. He has to be even more than that. He has to be so right and so tuned in on so many levels. It's a hell of a job. It's a hell of a hard job. That's why there's only about 12 of them that are any good. Maybe more right now. I haven't done my list of which quarterbacks are any good that any other team would actually want. The list for a while was always around 10, 11, 12-ish, something like that. And then the last 18 to 20 starters in the league, you go, eh, you can have them, who cares. The thing about Rodgers is, yes, he's got to get a little bit less prickly. He's got to get a little bit more trusting. He has to exert himself in just slightly different ways, I think. A little bit more team-friendly ways. But here's the thing, the vilification of him. Well, he's like the coach, you know, so and, – and by the way, he should not, Aaron Rodgers, be involved in the coaching search whatsoever. Steer clear of that. The last thing you want is word getting out that, oh, this coach, he was approved by Aaron Rodgers. Because what if the coach sucks? What if you lose with that coach? Now they're going to be like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a prickly son of a bitch who, granted, slings the ball like a ninja – but doesn't get along with his teammates all the time, doesn't get along with his coaches. It's very sour when anyone drops a pay. Why do you want to be on the hook for the coach too? Let them hire the coach and you work with the coach. Of course, according to Winston Moss, who appeared on Fox NFL's pregame show or the pre-pregame show, he said Aaron Rodgers has been the coach for the past nine years. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go, as they say. HBO finally let the curtain fall on their boxing run over the weekend doing their last boxing match. It's going to be taken over by DAZN or DAZN. I really don't get that whole acronym or name for their app, boxing subscription app, DAZN. But HBO got out of the boxing business for the last time. 44 years of Jim Lampley doing boxing. He hung up his microphone over the weekend and – I have always liked Jim Lampley, that sort of piercing, staccato delivery, absolutely great wordsmith, always found just the right words to use, an incredible depth of knowledge, historical knowledge about the sport of boxing and passion for it, but also Lampley unafraid to call out the sport when it needed calling out for its shadiness, for its underhandedness. For the ridiculousness of it. Lampley never shied away from that. I really loved watching him broadcast. And kudos to him for a hell of a run. Uh, calling you know, boxing. He of course has done other stuff. I don't know what he's down to now in terms of broadcasting. He used to do some NFL stuff. But Jim Lampley, tip of the cap man. Hell of a run. Enjoyed listening to you all these years. You know the Cleveland Browns have their own quarterback jersey of sadness that lists all the failed quarterbacks on the back of it the Redskins could rival them for a quarterback of sadness jersey since Dan Snyder bought the team in 1999 now that the Redskins are going to use four guys in one year as starters because Josh Johnson will start uh, at least the next game I don't know if he'll make it to the end of the season that's three long games but we'll see Josh Johnson's going to start so he'll be the 19th guy 18th guy. 18th guy, I believe. Let me count him up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I think it's the 19th guy. I just counted real quick. You know, you should have counted before you did this one. All right, just sue me. Here we are. Brad Johnson begat Jeff George, who begat Tony Banks, who begat Shane Werfel, Shane Werfel, Shane Matthews, who begat Danny Werfel, who begat Tim Hasselbeck, who begat Patrick Ramsey and Mark Brunel and Todd Collins, Jason Campbell, Donovan McNabb, John Beck, Rex Grossman, Robert Griffin III, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and now Josh Johnson. Somebody print up the Redskins quarterback jersey of shame. Oh, look at this. Another Reuben Foster video came out over the weekend. It's not spectacular. It's not anything super incriminating. There was no crime. There was not even an arrest. But it's not good. The San Francisco Chronicle had the story and the body cam footage from officers who responded to the incident at the townhome of Reuben Foster just a month before he was ultimately let go by the San Francisco 49ers. It was interesting to watch because in the video, you see them coming to the door. You can hear on the microphones, on the body cam, an argument going on inside the house. A neighbor said it sounded like there was a woman being slammed against the walls. Remember, these are connected townhomes. You might think, why isn't Reuben Foster living in some giant baller-style mansion? Well, maybe for now, being single and you know not with a family, he's going to start out with just a, a townhome. Either way, the officers come up. You can already hear the argument going on behind the door. Reuben Foster comes out. They ask, you know, what's going on in here? We just want to make check to make sure everything is okay. And they ask if they can go see, you know, they're like, who are you with? And it's my girlfriend. Can we go, you know, talk to her? And he's like, you can come in the house. And the officer's are like, no, why don't you send her out here? And he's like, all right, I'm going to go inside the house. You can go talk to her. And they're like, no, no, no. We want you out here with us. And then they said, okay, well, we're talking to, your girlfriend, about what's going on. And his girlfriend, which is the same woman that ended up alleging she got smacked and had the phone knocked out of her hands in the hotel in Miami or Tampa, she comes out to the door. She's not looking too dressed up. She's looking kind of disheveled, although it could just be Netflix and chill hair going on. And she appeared to be upset and crying, and she was giving Ruben a death stare for this is not cool. And Reuben was not really cooperating with the officers where they said, Now come over here. And he's like, no, I'm fine. They're like, here, come sit down. He's like, no, I want to stand up. No, no, really, come over to my car. Cause, and at one point, Reuben's like, I don't want to miss any conversation. Like, he kind of wanted to hear what she was saying. At one point, Reuben Foster was placed in handcuffs. He did not resist, so that's good. And the officers then let him go, did not charge him with a crime, and said, okay, well, all right, you know, we, we talked to her and – uh, we're gonna, you know, let you guys go back to doing what you're doing, but uh, try to keep the noise down. It was actually good policing. I know that it's not fashionable to give credit for good policing because only the worst policing, the w- most lethal, bad policing, gets publicity. But you know, this was an example of okay, buy the book, and it could have gone, could have gotten out of hand quickly if the cops had a bad attitude, but it didn't, and that was good. But the net net of it is it's not good. It makes it look more and more like the thing that's walking like a duck, quacking like a duck, is indeed a duck in the Reuben Foster situation. may not matter legally if these charges get dropped from the incident in Tampa, but from an NFL standpoint and under the hand of Freel, oh yeah, even this videotape is probably going to factor into their decision. Speaking of the league that likes to investigate domestic violence, funny, there's a story that came out over the weekend that said the NFL might be considering, or some owners were interested in maybe discussing getting out of the domestic violence policing industry. Oh, you don't say. Gee, who said right here in front of this microphone when it started, hey, You're going to regret doing this because it's way more complicated than you think. And every case is going to be a little bit different. It's going to have mitigating factors. You're not going to have all the evidence per se. Some of them are going to look bad. Others, not so much. Some will have video. Some won't. Some will have some degree of shared responsibility for the cycle. Some won't. And how are you going to administer these suspensions evenly? Well, the NFL just said, we've got an image problem. We're getting in the business. And now I think they're starting to find out, we may want to get out of the business. I know this. They didn't really want to do much on the Kareem Hunt situation because while they investigated Kareem Hunt's alleged assault of a man that he punched at a nightclub, they apparently didn't talk to Kareem Hunt involving his incident that happened in Cleveland. And I did read on Friday, outside the lines on ESPN, had a long account of, okay, here's what happened from both sides of it. Uh, Outside the lines was able to get a hold of some of the people who were with Kareem Hunt on that night. And they said, you know, they said that, you know, this this gal who was not interviewed by Outside the Line, she did not want to talk. She was drunk and wasn't leaving. And there were some differences in the account of what happened. But the net-net of it to me was, okay, Drunky McChick, being annoying, not leaving, um... So what? You still got to handle it way better than you did. And the videotape, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. The other part of the story that I found amazing was there was some guy kind of unrelated to the party or unrelated to the gathering uh, of Kareem Hunt and his his friends that started videotaping the interaction between the woman down in the lobby and the police. Because the woman's like, can I use your phone to call 911? They're like, no. She's like, well, my phone is in the room. They took it. And they were just being completely hostile to her. And so this guy starts videotaping for his own pr- you know, protection or videotaping, at least for the woman's sake. Okay, what's going on in this interaction? At first, the cops were like, fine. He, you know, the guy said, hey, uh, you know, I'm just taping this. They're like, yeah, whatever, man. And then as soon as things started getting sideways, one cop said, hey, shut that off. And he came and he grabbed the phone and he, I think he destroyed it or maybe he confiscated the phone and deleted the video, whatever. The guy then got arrested. He got arrested for disorderly conduct, and it, they claimed that he was drunk in public. He had not been drinking. He ended up, I guess, pleading no contest to the charges because he didn't want to come back to Cleveland to fight the charges. He was just like, ugh, oh, what a headache, and it was such a minor thing, relatively speaking. He's like, fuck it. But it, that, to me, was a case of, wow, now that's some bullshit police work right there. Best thing I saw on the Internet over the weekend no doubt about it, a Santa brawl. <laughs> In the streets of some major city, I'm not sure which one, there was literally about a dozen Santas throwing haymakers. Now, I'm always sort of skeptical, like, is this just something that somebody cooked up for you know the sake of making a viral video? Hey, what if we got a bunch of Santas who are on a break from a Santa convention or Santa school or... You know, a bunch of Santas in a mall that were all competing for a certain job. Let's get them to fight outside in the street, and we'll videotape it, and we'll let it go viral, and somehow we'll make money off of it. This looked like a real fight. I can kind of tell when there's fake fighting going on. They're like, eh, we're not really throwing punches. (laughs) This was a real Santa brawl, and it was literally about eight to ten different Santas going at it in the street. Google it. Look it up for me, or look it up for yourself if you didn't see it. I'm sure the the video is probably two years old, but the best part was the clip I saw had just the video of the Santa's fighting, and then it was set to my favorite Christmas song, which is Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams. Headline, I do not quite understand. Alex Smith has had close to half dozen surgeries on leg due to infection. Well, what part of that don't you understand? Close to half a dozen surgeries? Just how many is it? Well, it's close to half a dozen. That would be six, like almost six. Why do you say almost six? Well, we're not sure if it really was six or five or maybe seven, so we're just kind of hedging our bets here. Close to. Okay. Why don't you just say Alex Smith has had multiple surgeries? And I don't like the cheesy trick of, A half dozen. Because it sounds like, oh my God, a half a dozen? Okay, he's had five surgeries. Well, that's a lot. But it doesn't sound like half a dozen. Also, what's a surgery? What's a procedure? I've never had this answer to me. I've never had this definitively answered in my years of asking. Some things they'll actually cut you open, go in, fix something, and they'll say it's a procedure. Others will say it's a surgery. I don't think there's any hard and fast definition. Some might say, well, if you're not under general anesthesia, it's not surgery. Oh, I beg to differ. I bet there's surgeries done all the time that are under local or you're still awake. So if you're a doctor out there, let me know. What is a procedure and what is a surgery and what is the dividing line as to, okay, this is one, that's the other. I do know this. A minor surgery is any surgery that you're not having somebody else is. Major surgery is whenever you have to get cut on. Baseball talk. I like Tom Verducci a lot of... SI.com, although I guess Verducci's now, uh, well, they move around so much. Tom Verducci, I know him from SI.com. He's a great great baseball writer. He writes and says that he believes the Nats ended their pursuit of Bryce Harper way too easily. He said this guy was the number one pick in the draft. He should have played his entire career in a Nats uniform. Well, that's easy to say, Tom, when you're not the one being asked to fork out close to four hundred million dollars for an outfielder and he's a great outfielder but his percentage was down his batting average if you still believe in that as a stat and many people don't i still sort of do though power numbers are still pretty good but power is much more plentiful these days because everyone's just trying to hit home runs and he's an outfielder so just not as valuable as infielders who have the kind of power that he does that's why The argument over would you take Machado or Bryce Harper? You know, you can say Machado is a lazy, doesn't run it out bag of shit sometimes, and dirty player trying to injure guys. But in terms of just straight value, day to day, week to week, month to month, I think it would arguably be be Machado. Anyway, the whole notion of well, he should have never, he should have retired as a gnat. It's a romantic notion. It's a good notion. I get where Verducci's going on this. But I think the Nats are making the right call here. They made an offer to him, which if, who knows, something crazy happens and nobody else offers, okay, we get him for $300 million. It's going to really be a lot on the payroll, though, even though Mark Lerner said, basically, we're not expecting him to take the 300000000 million. We're expecting him to move on. Hint, hint, we already spent our money on a starting left-handed pitcher, which I also agree with. But it's easy for a baseball writer to go, I should have kept this guy. He was the number one pick. Well, so what? We got a lot of great years of young Bryce Harper, and he thrilled fans and filled seats and hit home runs and eventually won a home run derby in our hometown, which was great. Did not win a World Series with him. Didn't appear in a World Series with him. Didn't even play for the right to go to the World Series. (laughs) I'm okay with letting Bryce Harper forge his next baseball chapter somewhere else. I mentioned the Menendez Brothers recently after I tweeted about how, you know, the good boy sweater had made an appearance again. This was Kareem Hunt doing a sit-down interview with Lisa Salters. The Good boy sweater is also known as the uh, sweater of contrition, I call it. If you want to soften your image, think, Mr. Rogers, when you are apologizing for something you did or trying to rehabilitate your image, stop texting me, people. Um, you wear a sweater. It always works. And it originated when I remember seeing a photo of the Menendez brothers uh, in court with sweaters on. I think I talked about this on the podcast. If I didn't, I'm sorry. I'm repeating myself. It was on another show. Anyway, so speaking of the Menendez brothers, someone on Reddit found an old NBA basketball card of former Nick Mark Jackson. And in the background, sitting courtside with their feet on the hardwood, appeared to be both Menendez brothers. Brothers. And Reddit was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Is that really them? Because they were trying to put together when this would have been time frame wise. And Darren revel says, this checks out. These would be the Menendez brothers. The murders happened August 20th, of 89. The brothers were arrested in March of 1990. Photo was taken at Madison Square Garden in the 89 90 season. And the set came out before 90 So it is indeed true. That there is a NBA card with Mark Jackson on it, which has two of the most notorious, cold-blooded, piece-of-shit murderers in U.S. history ever sitting there courtside. Yay. All right, you know we don't do politics on this podcast, at least not much. I've actually been thinking about a special political cast, just a one-off with my boys down at the Weekly Standard, which, uh, yes, is a conservative publication. But I was going to try to do a a single Zabecast with them and somehow compare sports to politics and politics to sports in a non-partisan kind of a way. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. We'll see. Anyway, on the political front, with George H.W. Bush being laid to rest last week, they finally revealed the Secret Service that his codename was Timberwolf. I think that was the first time it was revealed. I think otherwise codenames of presidents are kept secret. It got me to thinking, <laughs> what do you think Trump's code name is? And my joke was Poonslayer. Or if not Slayer, the Big Pumpkin. Now for those of you that are sensitive... You're going to say, how dare you say that about our president? And I say that with tongue in cheek. Let's not overreact. At the Army-Navy game, though, where Trump did come in uh, for both uh, the, the coin flip, which he made this overly dramatic, throw his hand in the air and point to it. People were mocking that on Twitter and on the Internet. And then he did the march across the field at halftime to go root for the other team. I was standing on the field, I got lucky enough, I had you know, field pass access before the game, and as he came out to do the coin flip, there were two young women that were, uh, I think, somehow relatives of someone playing in the game, and one of the women just unleashed a tirade on good old Donald Trump, the president. And I thought about turning and saying, yeah, you know, I know you don't like him, but I don't know. Maybe a little respect for the office. And then I said, nah, why would I even start that shit? What good is that going to do me? What prize do I get for doing that? There was another guy I rode up the escalator with, and he kind of starts chatting me up. We're on an escalator, not an elevator. And you know, we're standing there, and he says to me halfway up, he's like, man, that was something, those flyovers. And I was like, yeah, that was really cool, really nice. And then he goes, what a shit show, man. Trump the hell and I just kind of looked at him I gave him a blank stare as again in my head I said do I really want to start down this road do I really want to say yeah so what I you know he won't be the last president you hate I'm sure there could be others there's some presidents that other people hate that you love is it too but then I said no what prize do I get I'm not going to change his mind. I want to change his mind. There's a lot of things about the president that makes me roll my eyes, that that makes me embarrassed. Specific things, individual things. Oh, really? Like what? Hey, I'm not getting into it, and I'm not saying that I think he is doing a bad job. Oh, no, I've been sucked into the political quagmire. Uh, Let me back out now. All I'm saying is, I kind of do believe in that whole general respect for the office, when you can show it, if you can. Of course, those would say, well, he's shown no respect for it for himself, so why should he get any back? Okay. And with that, we'll end with our quick discussion on politics. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Fellas, you've heard me talking about this for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick 3 teams to win, if you hit all 3, you could turn 100 bucks into 600. There's so much to bet on college basketball and football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports if you want, you name it. My bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week, and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to my bookie right now and use promo code ZABE and get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo Echo. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we'll finish with this today. On Friday, Hugh Freeze got hired by Liberty University as their new head football coach. Hugh Freeze, you may remember from Ole Miss, who was the hottest coach in America, had beaten Alabama twice. Of course, he helped he was helped in that endeavor by recruiting in ways that were completely and totally blatantly illegal. And the NCAA posse was gonna catch up to him real quick. He was like the hapless bank robber that wasn't going to get more than a couple of blocks down this down the road before they found him and caught him, which they did. But when they caught him, Hugh Freeze kept lying about, well, these violations These are under Houston Nutt. These were not mine. Houston Nutt got pissed off and said, "The fuck these things are. These are on your tab. You're the one doing these things. I didn't do this when I was a coach. It's partly why I'm not coach anymore. But Hugh Freeze lied about it because he wanted to protect this killer class that was coming in. Well, Houston Nutt got so pissed off because all he wanted was an apology from Hugh Freeze, I guess when the hammer started to come down and instead... Hugh Freeze was like, no, I'm not going to apologize. And so, Houston Nutt then filed a lawsuit, and part of the lawsuit was to subpoena uh, the phone records of Hugh Freeze, and on the phone records they found, oh, massage parlors. How about that? Look at all these massage parlors, and next thing you know, Hugh Freeze is out at Ole Miss. So, Hugh Freeze was hired again after like a, a show cause order put on him by the NCAA, and I guess that expired after a year, and Liberty being a aspiring division one program that will pay any that will play anybody for a lot of money, I'm sure, in the coming years, caching, caching, ka ching, and try to build the program up, um, they hired him. Even though Liberty is a religious university. And in the speech that he gave at an introductory press conference, Hugh Freeze said that, you know, uh my guiding principles, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the Almighty Lord, blah, blah, blah. He's the only one, he said, that can handle my junk. And I haven't found anybody that can handle it quite like him. To which everybody then snickered, thinking, ha ah, yes, handle your junk. Very funny for a guy who got run out of Ole Miss for being a hypocrite who went to massage parlors and had prostitutes on his phone. That said, two things. One is, re- religion is always the last refuge of the scoundrel. But even if you are genuinely religious, you acknowledge the fact that, hey, I make mistakes. And I try to do better. And I'm not perfect. And yeah, if there are some hookers and or some massage parlors that do the handbrake parking release, parking brake release, well, sorry. I'll go to church for that, and I'll try to get back on the straight now. Hugh Freeze, welcome to Liberty. Now begin losing and begin collecting those pay-per-play checks to get killed by the Power Five schools in the coming years. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple of friends. Get the ZabeCast app. Subscribe to the Football Five Ways Friday. Go to zabe.com slash premium. Podcasts are the future, and they're here now. It's like Netflix for your ears. Email me with topics and suggestions, zabe at yahoo.com. Now go get your Christmas lights up, because mine aren't. And darn it, it's getting late. And we will see you next time.